And good morning. Good, good morning. You're listening to City Limits on 3CR 855 AM. And that was Stephen Wolf with The Pusher. Cool. Who do we have here? We have Emma. Yeah. We have Kevin. We have Corey. Mm-hmm. We have, that's who we have. We have tea. We have tea. We'll pour it. <laughs> Tell we'll pour us about some the tea. tea. Well, we'll pour it. It's, today it's just straight jasmine tea. Hang on, I'm supposed to not talk through this. There we are. That's one. Give that one to Emma. There you are, Emma. Thank you very much. And this one's for, for Kevin. That's me, in case you're wondering. And I guess with the names Corey, Emma and Kevin, you worked out which one was Kevin anyway. <laughs> there we are. We're not supposed to be talking. There we are. Done. 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 Okay. The tea is poured. Beautiful. <laughs> now we can start the show. What are we going to talk about today? Well, it's the fifth, fifth Wednesday of the month, which is pretty much carte blanche in terms of, you know, it's wide open. We can do what we like. Um, and... Um, and Emma, we've got the first guest is about gardens, right? Yes. So um, I've been helping out on the Brunswick Community Garden. Cool. Um, with this <coughs> wonderful woman called Yvonne. So Yvonne will be coming on to talk about that. Um, but she also happens to be from Cuba. So well, we they have great we would gardens. Chat a little bit about gardens in Cuba. Yep, we can do that indeed. And. Um, Yes, and, and we can even maybe talk to her about the current politics of Cuba and what's mm. going on there because yeah. some changes being made, mm. as we know. Um, yes. In fact, um, Barack Obama wants to uh, bring America to Cuba and give them all the good things America's mm-hmm. got, like the economy, the health system, <laughs> the <laughs> education <laughs> system, the food yeah. system. The industrial oh, agriculture. Bloody wonderful. Yep. And uh, the second half, uh, by popular request, in fact, because um, we've got uh, Professor Moriarty on, um, and I'm calling him that because we got a, a one caller rang and said that uh, what when's Professor Moriarty coming on again? So I've told him he's on by pop because actually one caller asking for someone is popular request on City yes. Limits. I mean, mm, yes. no doubt about that. Mm. And uh, so. He'll be coming on in the second half, and he tells me he's been researching into electric cars, one, and more particularly into travel ta- travel patterns and the way travel patterns are changing in society, mm, interesting. which may, you know, could well lead to, to what, what sort of what sort of transport we'd start keep providing and what sort of infrastructure we provide, etc. Mm. But anyway, he's going to look mm. into that and those questions. So we'll be talking to Patty mm. in the second half. And I mentioned to him, we might also just ask him his views on post-Paris and whether it's really going to mean much in, in terms of Australia doing anything serious about the environment generally. I think so we know the answer to that. Yeah, I think we are. We'll ask him though anyway. <laughs> Let him say it. <laughs> one word fill answer. Fill in ten minutes. <laughs> no, fill in, about, fill, in, fill in one word. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That'll take care of that. Speaking of um, vested interests, which we sort of weren't but we are, um, You'll be pleased to know that there's a there's a study being shown come out that shows that this cigarette tax that the ALP is talking about and even the government now considering, um, which has two purposes: one to raise money and two to hopefully get people off cigarettes. Um, there's been a study showing that this could cost uh, party seats in in key um, key seats, and that uh, according to the Sexton Marketing Group, 69% of voters in marginal seats oppose any further increase to tobacco taxes, compared with 55% nationally. So marginal seats are the key ones. Now, given that the incidence of smoking in society, I think, dropped below 18%. It was 30 a few years ago, 30 something. It's it's quite it's low now, but unfortunately, it's also mostly centered on working class people, Indigenous communities. Communities, etc. But 
Um, nonetheless, 69% seems very high. But you'll be pleased to know that the um, the commissioned the polling was commissioned by Strategic Political Council, a lobbying firm that has British American tobacco on its client list. So um, I feel we could take the take the research pretty seriously. I would have thought. Oh. Very seriously. Yeah. Very independent. Yes, mm. totally independent. That's what I thought too. That's what I thought. Mm. On a um, on a more uh, sombre note, it was pretty sombre about tobacco, but uh, um, Japan has finished its season of um, scientific whaling. Oh, yeah? And they've killed 300... They've admitted anyway to killing 333 more of... Two, uh, 200 more of whom were pregnant oh, females. Oh. Uh, but they say they're trying to prove the whale population is large enough to sustain a return to commercial hunting and it has to kill the mammals to carry out its research properly. So there you are. But were they deliciously scientific? I think so, yes, yes, that's right. Um, so uh, there you are. Uh, and uh, another, speaking of Japan, there's a phenomenon occurring where an incredibly large number of repeat offenders and people in, in jails are older people. And in fact, the, uh, the, the, rate of, um, the rate of older people, elderly inmates in jail for repeating the same offence six times has climbed 460% uh, between 91 and 13 and the, they're putting it down to the fact that most people in most older, well, not most, a lot of older people in Japan, it says even with a frugal diet and dirt cheap accommodation, a single Japanese retiree with minimal savings has living costs more than 25% higher than the meagre basic state pension. Mm-hmm. And so it's being argued that in fact they're deliberately going to jail because they get accommodation <laughs> and food, etc. And, uh, and uh, etc. So it's a pretty dire situation, unfortunately. And. Um, there you are. Oh, um, that's another pick-me-up on two yeah. limits. Oh, that's where you wish cheer people up here. <laughs> uh, if you want to be cheered up even more, um, during, d- due to the Easter break, there were a couple of stories floating around. One was about the incredible, one of our listeners I know is going to enjoy this, the incredible amount of property the churches own, <laughs> and yet churches these days, are, you know, are, very few people go to them. Um, and there was a separate article by Meredith Doig in The Age on, uh, on Good Friday, um, and she's the president of the Rationalist Society, and she argues about the fact that why do churches get a tax break, particularly in a modern sort of society, and you know don't pay any taxes at all. And um, we had that experience in Fitzroy, and still do, I'm sure, around in the city of what's now the city of Yarra, because that whole complex of St Vincent's and that whole block pays no rates, whatever. Yeah. But kept demanding more and more services and wanted us to allow people to park without getting booked, etc. <laughs> while they had a private car park on site. Um, but um, yeah, so it's an ongoing problem. But again, it, it has been raised, and it's well worth. Uh, I think it's about time it was considered far more seriously as to why they do get away with paying nothing Mm. uh, and have enormous amounts of property. So there you are. And I did want to raise one because last week we we speculated. We said, I'm going to have a sip of tea. Hang on. Mm. And anyway... um, we speculated on the fact that that day had come out the the figures of the day before the figures about all the rich not paying taxes the big you know, the big the mm. big companies um 
private companies not paying tax, and I speculated that the Herald Sun would bury it away, even though it was playing up big stories about welfare cheats. Now, it turned out, I think I can claim to have been correct, really. Um, it did appear back in the business pages. It didn't appear in the news pages at all, but it turned up in the business pages, but it was backed up by a story two pages later by Terry Pucan, or whose name is Terry McCran, their... Um, well, Australia's leading business commentator, which says under his name, it's quite modest heading up there. Um, he has a whole article then poo-pooing the whole thing, speaking of Pucan. Um, and he, he says, for instance, take the Pratt family's Pratt Consolidated Company listed with a taxable income of $88 million and zero tax payable. In this case, the statement of the bleeding obvious, except frankly disgracefully not specifically stated by the Australian Tax Office, is that the company had perfectly legitimate offsetting factors, which again I'll come back to, to offset the tax otherwise payable in that year. Pratcons didn't just refuse to pay, etc., um, but they, they didn't have to pay, and he makes that point. Um, and he says, and, in, and just to show how objective he is about looking at this question, he says, publishing this misleading rubbish would cause me to demand the resignation or sacking of Jordan. He's the tax commissioner. But for the fact the obvious misleading figures are being published by law at the direction of politicians, etc. But on he goes. So he, he just gets stuck into the whole thing and what? says it's disgraceful that they're publishing such things because everyone who doesn't pay tax has a genuine reason for not paying it, which I would have thought... He doesn't mention the word greed. What are uh, their legitimate offsets? Oh, greed, greed? for a start. Yeah. Greed's, greed's a good one. start, yes. Yeah. Avarice comes into it. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, all those things. They, you know, they're all sorts of mm, things they, yeah, can, yeah. they can claim, <laughs> as we know, and uh, get away with, yeah. And in the same week, the mining companies have come out and said they think we, must, we should have nothing bigger than a 20% company tax in this country, and this would help workers. That's the big thing. I always <laughs> say that. This will help workers. So that's great to know, isn't And what, it? what companies are actually paying whatever the tax rate is? I mean, I doubt half the companies would be paying a 20% tax rate. <laughs> no, they don't. Yeah. That's right. Well, as our, our regular, our irregular commentator, um, John Passant, points out that 40% of the top 100 companies pay none whatever. Yeah. Um, not a cent. And they probably make money because they probably make claims which they get money off the government in subsidies and grants but give nothing back whatever. So they're probably, they're probably, in, in, they're probably into the public purse as opposed to contributing to it. Yeah. Um, and there was another, just another headline in The Age um, yesterday, was it yesterday or last week? Maybe it was a week ago. Millionaires cry poverty to pay no income tax. So I just thought I'd mention that as a headline. It's not worth, you know, I think, don't need to go into the details of the story. Um, but there you are. Um, so that's, um, that's that. And uh, there was also a conference. It's funny that they don't call them dolbalages. No, 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 that's mm. right. Well, and there was a conference last week of big business people which was, um, I think, pulled together by the Australian Institute of Company Directors. Um, and they're pushing again for uh, lower taxes offset by a higher GST. So uh, they're still pushing that and mm. they'll, uh, they'll keep pushing it till they get it. Now, I raised that and the point you just raised, of course, is relevant because there was also a headline just in yesterday's Herald Sun having pushed the tax... Not, I was going to say tax dodgers, how awful thing. The people who legitimately paid no tax mm. back into the business pages, and there's a headline: "Cash cheat cut off." But this happens to be a young 
Muslim bloke, pension slashed for brazen refugee rotter. What a headline. <laughs> what a great headline. Cash cheat cut off, pension slashed for brazen refugee rotter. Isn't that a great headline? Bring it in. Refugee, picture of him showing his Muslim. Oh, cheat. The lot, and they bring and bring in Julian Burnside, who's been huh. a great advocate for um, refugees, as we know. After he was granted asylum to start a new life in Melbourne in '04, he reportedly lived with. Doesn't say he did. He reportedly lived with refugee advocate Julian Burnside huh. QC for a short time before moving to a flat in St Kilda. Burnside also helped to find him a job as a mechanic. Can anyone explain to me what that's got to do with the story? I don't know. Um, Why bring Julian Burnside into it at all? Yeah, it sounds like he's been very kind to him. Yeah, yeah. That's is is that like. a crime now? Obviously, yeah. particularly all well, refugees and <laughs> potential cat cheats, cheats, cheats. Yeah, yeah brazen cheats. Brazen. <laughs> <laughs> Taking advantage. Rorters, mm, rorters, yes. rorters, and brazen cheats. Mm. So there you are. That's um, that's our response to the uh, well. That's the Herald Sun's usual response to the fact that people aren't paying too much tax. Um, speaking of being paid and not being paid, lovely headline in last Friday's Financial Review, which you two will enjoy thoroughly. <laughs> there was this study by of five countries about the pay gap between men and women, mm. and the headline: You'll be you, this is going to make you feel good. Women aren't paid that much less than men is the headline. Isn't that great? <laughs> you must feel good. <laughs> Not what I heard. Oh, isn't that great? Um, well, it says that it's only 3.9, but they take all sorts of factors mm. into consideration. Um, one of the studies thought it wasn't worth looking at, for instance, um, providing data on male and female salaries for the same role. Now, I would have thought that was fairly relevant, mm. but... Um, but it does point out, it does say, it concedes that in Australia more than one-third of the unadjusted pay gap is explained by differences in how men and women sort into different occupations and industries mm. with varying earning potential. Um, but so it women's work is underpaid? Yeah, well, mm. it, claims, it claims there's a 17.3% gap. I think the Workplace Gender Equality Agency says it's 24. But they say after you take all these other factors into account, it's down to just 39 So... What are they going to say? Men are more natural leaders. That's why they they get put in management uh, positions. It doesn't mm. say it directly, but I'm sure that's implied here mm. somewhere. Yeah, there was a, sadly, unfortunately, um, on yesterday's uh, paper, um, uh, Rachel Nicholas, a um, a writer for the Financial Review, has a, an article uh, slamming the report and and saying that the uh, the twenty four percent pay gap is, um, you know, should be should be looked at as a serious uh, figure. Mm. Uh, mm. Yeah, he's obviously got a biased position. I would have thought, unlike unlike the earlier. <laughs> it doesn't say who commissioned that first report, by the way. It would be interesting to know. Mm. Yeah. So there you are. How's that? And the other one in this, well, we'll go to we'll go to. You know, we'll go, I'll, I'll mention it very briefly because there's been a lot of comment about the. Um, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission wanting to change the law so that um, so that the effect of competition or effect of policy um, pre- take is all you take into account in determining whether someone's trying to crush competition, and it's aimed, of course, at the big banks and the big mm. supermarkets, etc. Yeah, yeah. And they're screaming, saying it will. In fact, if you bring in something that stops us crushing our competition, it will stifle competition. They say that. And really? the yes, and Catherine Livingston, who's the head of the um, Business Council of Australia, um, and the big, of course, 
Coles and Woolworths are all screaming because the current law is such that it's incredibly complicated. Lawyers make a fortune. QCs can spend weeks making thousands a day getting no result because mm-hmm. it's almost impossible to prove uh, under the current wording of the law. So they're saying, let's simplify it. If the effect is that the competition is crushed, then yeah, we've proven the case. Um, now, that's, that seems to me to be a simple way of doing it. But, of course, it also, I don't necessarily agree with that either because cause competition and crushing is what capitalism's all about. So, in mm. fact, it goes to the very heart of capitalism to say you can't crush your opposition even if they're, they're an ant and you're an elephant. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, it, 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 it's against the very principles of laissez-faire and market forces that they, in fact, then endorse in other ways. So it's all very interesting. But that's just going on mm. at the moment. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit like the um, witch trials. It, if she drowns, then she wasn't a witch. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and yeah. if she floats... She was, and you, you burn yep, her to death. You burn her exactly. <laughs> Dry her out. <laughs> so shall we go to a um, we'll, Yeah, a we'll go, have yep. a break and we'll come back and talk to him on. Um, right. This is Billy Holiday with Stormy Weather. You're listening to uh, City Limits on 3CR 855 AM and the time's 9.20. <laughs> There's no sun up in the sky Stormy weather Since my men and I ain't together Keeps raining all the time The time Life is bad Gloom and misery everywhere Stormy weather Just can't get my balls set together I'm Hello. 
And you're listening to 3CR 855 AM, and that was Billy Holiday with uh, Stormy Weather, and we have on the line Yvonne Ortega. Yes. Uh, welcome to City Limits, Yvonne. Hi, hello. Hello. How are, How are you going? Very good, thank you. <laughs> I believe you're at the garden right now? And um, Yes, I just I came to the office to have a little bit more better chat because it's a very windy outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well... um. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the Brunswick Community Garden? Um, I've been helping and so far we have quite a lot of raised garden beds and quite a few wicking beds, um, but do you want to just tell us a little bit about it? Um, Brunswick Neighbourhood House are having a, a small project, we're working for the DOT project, and this project is we organise a community garden yep. with the unemployed, long-term unemployment people. Um, it's been really good yeah. because it's, um, the project started from September. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been having a few people for helping on the garden. We set up a small garden on the courtyard and outside too. We made five wicking beds and five garden beds outside. So what's a wicking bed? Yes, and the wicking bed is uh, one of the systems that we can use in for planting plants uh, we're not using a lot of water this can be really good because mm-hmm. we don't need a lot of people after we've been planting the plants to coming and water the garden and outside we have a plan to have a, like an open garden for the continuation we organized a community meeting because the project is going to finish in May and uh, we having a community meeting to have some continuation for the garden and the people who are living mm. around can continue mm. helping on the garden. We have a really positive response. Mm. We have seen people who are living around this area to showing up to the meeting and they wanted to help him to continue to set up the garden. This is really nice thing to happen mm. because this means that the project is going to continue um, but in the future and the people continue planting and doing things around the community garden. So have you had a lot of interest from the people um, in the block of flats nearby or the yes. surrounding area? Yes, we have a... We, we, we drop in some information about the garden and the letter box around mm. the, um, the flat around the area. Yeah. And then people showing up to the meeting. And they are very interested to having a community garden, especially close to the house. And they've been making some suggestions to join together together with the mm. group, with the garden group, for decision-making, for the future decision-making, because it's really hard for them just to take a garden already set up, mm-hmm. and it's fair enough. 
Um, they've been really good. Um, hopefully, in the next meeting, we're going to everybody make together and you know talking about the plan, the future thing about the garden, mm-hmm. and the garden going to have a um, nice continuation. So, as a group, you'll decide how the garden will run in the future. Yes, because yeah. um, they're working for the dog project finished in May, and after May. We need to have a new group to continue the garden. It can yep. be a um, closed group, open group, can having a, you know, they need to decide what they wanted to do with the garden. And also make some, you know, decision making together with these people who are working on the garden for thinking we're going to plant it for the, in the garden mm-hmm. now. And this going to be really good because it's um, for having things of ownership, but really have for them, you know, not decision-making. It should be decision-making together. Yeah, I think that's really, really important for them to be involved in the decision-making from the beginning because they have more invested in the project. Um, And you have also applied for a grant as well. Did you want to – and it closes in two days. Did you want to get people to vote for the community garden? Yeah. For continuation for the garden, we wanted to apply for a small grant, for the local grant for the leader. Uh, we need people who vote in for the garden. If this happens, we're going to have a little bit more money for spend in tool or maybe for seasoning for the future or something that we can use for the, for the continuation for the garden. And it's really important for us to people voting for the ground because it's like a immediate future for the continuation for the garden. It's on the local um, leader and you go to leader. Um, Brown Street Community Group, and you're voting for them. They need to have a little bit of discussion. What are we, how are we going to use in this morning? Yep. Um, hopefully, we can have a little bit more extra money for continuation for the garden. Yeah, um, I think yeah, I think it's leaderlocalgrants.com.au. I believe. Yeah. Yep. Um, and also, your um, from your background is from is Cuba from Cuba. You grew up in Cuba. Um, did you want to tell us a little bit about what food production and community gardens are like in Cuba? Oh. Yeah, and, you know, comparing to Australia, like, we're obviously very, very far behind. Um, but did you, yeah, just want to talk a little bit about um, food production in Cuba? Um, I go as well as you say, I was growing up in Cuba. Mm. Um since the 90s, we have a very economic, a strong economic situation because mm. Cuba was dependent on Russia. Yeah. At this time, um, it was a big necessity on Cuba for organize a lot, I set up a lot of community gardens, especially around the city, mm. because most of the things came from Russia at this time in Cuba. The pesticides, we just was completely, you know, in shock. We don't have no a lot of things using on the garden. It was a necessity, especially on the city. Yeah. to organize a community garden in a small places. For example, on the roof of the building, in the small place where you any place where the people can plant things, something. It was useful for you know, for having a small garden and, and this helped a lot because at this time mm-hmm. any kind of food it was fantastic, you know, especially it's becoming organic because um, mm. I didn't having a lot of pesticides and the people used to go to the local community um, um, so I went to the local um, to uh, looking for some kind of, uh, you know, the wasting for the fruit, mm. the local market, and you're using for the compost, 
and they usually start using a lot of natural things, you know, in the garden, and it was fantastic. Mm. Because so everything coming from just yes, so. This is all in the context of the US blockade, economic blockade of Cuba, right? Yeah. That's mm. like one of the main driving factors for um, locally grown production, but it's turned out really good. Yeah, especially around the city because it's, um, in the urban city, they're having a lot of garden at this time. And because the necessity to produce something, they decided to create this fantastic you know, community garden all around the city. And this helped a lot of, um, at this time, you know, especially in the community group around the area, in different areas in the city. So would you say that there were um, other outcomes from these community gardens, such as, you know, a nicer living atmosphere and, and more community cohesion? Yes. It was a lot of um, a really nice outcome because a lot of community groups came together for set up this small community garden. And most of the food had been producing in this community garden was organic. And this was fantastic because they're using the local waste for the local market, mm. using the compost bin. And it was a um, really basic thing that we implementing at this time. And the really nice outcome, you know, fresh organic food. And usually we're sharing it with all the community. Um, natural hair and a small fruit. Um, thing that we was using on the kitchen, in the everyday kitchen. And it was a fantastic solution for, you know, the necessity it was at the time in, the, in our country, in my country. Yvonne, um, one of the criticisms often levelled by Western journalists is, of course, there's not a lot of food in stores in Cuba. But, of course, the, the, the fact is a lot of people growing their own. So there is food around, but it just doesn't appear in the stores. Would that be the case? Um, the thing is, um, it was a basic food, you know. But it was a lot. But some people thinking about they having a lot is not having uh, is different things. Um, at this time, we didn't have a lot around, but we having enough, you know, fit our family. And this was an important thing. It's different for, to compare to a small country, and especially Cuba with developing countries, like when you go to a supermarket having a lot, but it was enough to feed the family. And this is an important thing to, you know, to do. Mm. Must, yeah. I, I think that the um, community gardens in Cuba are really interesting um, demonstration of of the Marxist idea that uh, people's lives are, are greatly influenced by the economic system under which they're living. So you've got in America, you, you want to have sort of minimum labor and maximum equipment. So you've got like sort of monoculture, whereas in Cuba, um, pe- people's labor is valued a lot more, and 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 people aren't just left to rot on unemployment sort of thing, and then they. And then they end up doing these these labour intensive projects, um, such as a community garden, and they can grow org- organic food that's, um, you know, not a monoculture. What's the opposite of not a monoculture? A bit like yeah. nature, yeah. Mm, mass produced or something, whatever, whatever. Yeah. High biodiversity. High biodiversity. Yeah, a lot of biodiversity. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or processed in a tin. Mm-hmm. Or a polyculture. 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 Yeah. yeah. Opposite to a mono, monoculture. And and it's sort of a di- it's a direct outcome of the different um, economic systems. Mm. Yeah. Um, all these things it was a really nice positive outcome, especially in the community. There was a really um, thanks to learning and you know making things uh, 
really good for the community, especially organizing. Mm. And it's a fresh sharing product because most of the things it was producing at this time on the city, it was from the community and for free. You know, the people sharing products with the different community groups. Mm. And it's not because there was a live event there was the money involved mm. to get some, you know, some product for the community. And this is an important thing. Mm. And that flowed on to people also having quite good health as well in Cuba, I believe, because they did have access to really, really good nutritious food. Um, at this time, um, the nutritional thing was really high. It was really basic for just to keep the, mm. the things, you know, going. Um, but it was a, a lot of necessity for finding another different type of nutrition. It was a lot of meat around. Mm. And as well, you know, around the South America, they used to eat, I'm sorry for the people who live in Australia, a lot of food, a lot of guinea pigs. Mm. Yeah, eating, yeah. You know, <laughs> a lot of sources, you know, the mm. protein, not just, you know, um, beef or, you know, for cower and it's, um, it was a different um, way to people getting being fed and it was a very nice learning process, you know, learning about different countries, the way it was uh, using for, you know, sustainability uh, and around, it was a really good outcome. Hmm. But, uh, you know, it was very hard time because everything you need to make it from the scratch, you need to Sometimes the people didn't have a lot of access to computers. Mm. You know, it's just to talking with people, um, doing a little bit of research, or, you know. And it was a really hard time. But hopefully you have a really nice outcome. Mm. Can I ask what might be quite a naive question? Um, I've often wondered how, with community gardens like the one you're developing in um, in Brunswick, and there's lots of them around town now, around the, around the around Melbourne. Um, when fr- when your your produce is actually ready to be eaten, how do you stop people knocking it off and get it yourself? Well, we're having a little bit of discussion between the community and the group that we have set up now. Um, it's really important to people have a sense of community and respect. Some people wanted to make things around the garden, and I'm, and I'm happy to not have a thing because people need to understand that this is for the community, and the community needs to have some respect for the thing, and we can share in the product. It's not only for just, just to keep it for us, because uh, if we produce something, we can share it, and the people know it's there, and I think it, they start to develop and, you know, things, you know, respect the thing. And it's just a good thing for the community because um, we don't want to make a garden just for, you know, for the small group. We're going to be an open garden mm, and for the people go there and pick something and using on the kitchen. It's not good to keep in something and taking home by yourself. It's good to share in produce and this is the aim of the community garden, sharing produce. Good, yeah. good, yeah. yeah. And what do you think of Obama recently coming in and saying that they're going to introduce Western-style chain restaurants to Cuba? Um, look, it's too early to talking about things it's going to be implementing in Cuba because they only have a conversation and then maybe it's a, a minor change there. But, you know, since the 1959, Cuba being, you know, fantastic country, we have a free public health, and a lot of change has been happened there since 1969. And, you know, any positive shame, uh, maybe less restriction because the people have a more access to resources, it's going to be positive. Um, you know, you just to wait and see. It's too early to, you know, say it's going to be good or bad. Mm. You know, you never know because it's uh, history doesn't make it in a few months or one year. History is making for 
you know, they pass with a different year. And, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Hopefully the embargo going to finish and, you know, have a more, people going to have more access to things around. But, you know, mm. it's, um, it's taking long, pro- it's a very long process, especially because the relationship between Cuba and America, they've been breaking for many, many years. And it's just a mm. conversation. Um, I read that when they allowed um, like Walmart into Mexico, it had a um, quite an impact on the health of everybody there, and I think like obesity increased by like twelve percent. Do you think like it could affect health? If look, is this um, is this um, is a question can can be open question for mm, you know yeah. things Wait you know and see. it's coming so do you think some um, <clears throat> hopefully people they have enough knowledge to know or want to have a better understanding what mm. is a good thing or bad thing for them. Yeah, yeah. In Cuba, one of the good things about the system half is a really nice education system. You, mm. you know, it's not a lot of um, things on TV about, you know, selling stuff. It's a lot about education. People have some knowledge. And uh, it's a lot about prevention. And uh, maybe people haven't some access to this, but uh, in the very nice way. Um, yeah. I'm not expect. I can't predict what is going to happen. It's really difficult to predict what's going to happen because mm. um, things can be suggested to change. But, uh, you know, yeah. All I'm right. not quite sure what it's going to be. All right. Well, um, thanks, Yvonne, for coming on and chatting to us. Um, yeah, and cool. if people um, want to help out the Brunswick Community Garden, they can vote. Um, at leaderlocalgrounds.com.au. And that's in Carl Street, by the way, for people who don't know where it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. sorry. It's kind yeah. of corner of Albion and Sydney Road. Yeah. And Thank then... you for having me. Um, nice to go with you guys. Yeah. You. <laughs> Excellent. And is there still room for people to get involved as gardeners? Pardon? Is there still room for people to get involved as gardeners? Yes, yes, yes. Any people that is uh, welcome to, you know, be involved on the garden, especially because we need a lot of support and help us uh, for continuation for the garden. You know, we are very happy to even welcome to any people to the garden. Great, great. <laughs> okay, well, so, uh, thanks, Yvonne. Um, see ya. <laughs> see ya. <laughs> bye, bye, bye. Thanks, Yvonne. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, shall we go to another track? Another track and we'll yep. get Paddy Moriarty on the line. Okay, so you're listening to the Limits on 3CR. The time is 9.41 and we're going to listen to Sam Cook with Weeping Willow. At least I got the golden bit, I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah, when Paddy Moriarty's not answering his phone, which is quite strange because he's mm. always on the end of that line. And I spoke mm. to him just this morning, in fact, on that. So we don't know what's happening. We hopefully will <laughs> turn up shortly. But anyway... Um, <coughs> Oh, that's gone. But well, well, now that we we can't get Paddy, going back to the previous interview, there was an interesting article in the last couple of weeks um, coming out of the botanical gardens here in Melbourne, and um, they say um, they've got a landscape succession strategy because they say that unless we do take action urgently about rising temperatures and lower rainfall, then they're going to have an unmanageable loss of plant cover. 
um, and um, they've got a 20-year plan to replant sections of the gardens with species better adopted to climate change. Um, and it says responsible stewardship, that action must be taken to sustain a heritage and resilient landscape into the future. The plan said it was predicted that by 2090, Melbourne's climate could resemble that of present-day Dubbo in inland NSW, uh, with, a, hmm. with a three-degree rise in annual maximum temperature and a 15% drop in rainfall. Ooh. The gardens also faced issues such as an increase in pests, which of course then become more prevalent when as it gets hotter, mm. if you know that. And um, it, so that's that's a pretty serious question. Mm. We didn't get around to raising it with Yvonne, but um, but again, we're now looking at a situation where something like the Botanical Gardens has to start thinking about mm. the future and the fact that climate change is going to change dramatically. Well, that's um, really worrying because most of the world doesn't have you know, a team of gardeners looking after it. So you wonder what sort of species are going to succeed, That's right. um, you know, just naturally. And where Dubbo's going to be at that time, in that case. Yeah, um, true. It's going to be at about, about Port Moresby or something. Mm. Um, or whatever, yeah. But it's, um, so it's, a, it's one of the you know, numerous serious mm. problems arising from this. And one of the things I was going to ask Paddy and talk to him about was whether the commitments made in Paris are really going to mean anything or whether you know, we're just going to business as usual while mouthing all sorts of, uh, all sorts of intentions. Business as usual. Mm. Yeah, I reckon. right, right, yep. right. So we've been pretty optimistic here today, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, okay. Um, there we go, that's that sorted. Let's go home. <laughs> that's, yes. Let's spend the last 10 minutes listening to music. <laughs> yeah, well, um, what, what I was interested in uh, was a very small piece uh, tucked away in the paper in the last couple of days saying the city of Yarra will begin community engagement and master planning as part of plans to redevelop the 3.9 hectare former gas and fuel site in North Fitzroy. The site at 433 Smith Street, and people know it's up there on the corner of Alexander Parade, people know it, that site there, the old gas and fuel site, was due to be developed as the headquarters for the East-West Link Tollway before the project was cancelled, which is ironic, and I'll come to why it's ironic in a moment. City of Yarra Mayor um, Roberto Calanzi said there was an exciting opportunity for a six-court six indoor sports stadium to mm. be included as part of the redevelopment. Um, we'll forget about that, but I raise that because back in the 70s when we were fighting the freeway and I was on the council there at the time, um, one of the promises made because they were taking part of... And, well, let's go, let's go back even further. Before they put the freeway through Alexandra Parade... That was effect- effectively traffic, well, with very little traffic on it, and the the nature strip, that big, wide median strip, um, was in fact used as a playground by kids and as a, by the community because there was the traffic was all either on Johnson Street or Queen's Parade, mm. um, and only when they opened it up. But they also, of course, took part of that, uh, to widening it for the uh, for what became effectively a freeway. But. Um, because we were losing that land, they promised the city of Fitzroy, as it was at the time, and the city of Collingwood, that they would give us that gas and fuel site um, to be used as open space, mm. as compensation. Mm. So that was actually promised way back then to the community to be used anyway, along with other promises like uh, we will pay for any um, traffic management plans you require and we guarantee that the north-south trams crossing that parade will not be affected they'll get priority etc well it's taken it's now 30 something years mm. and we still haven't got priority but mm. it's coming it is coming <laughs> um but the 
that site was never given. And, of course, the excuse then was that because the two cities um, did continue to defy them and fight the freeway right to the very end, therefore we didn't get the gas and fuel site and we had to pay for our own traffic management measures, whereas the City of Melbourne, which gave in to them, um, had all its traffic management measures paid for by the government at the time. So all very interesting. But I just, I guess the irony is, though, that that site which was promised as compensation for putting a freeway through 30 years ago was going to become the headquarters for the next step in the freeway, the East West <laughs> Link. So I, I do find that ironic. Mm. But I just thought I'd raise that as a little bit of history on that site. Um, and uh, we'll see what happens, I suppose. So where, where is that site again? Well, you, if you come up, if you ride down Smith Street um, yeah. to here, it's on the corner. If you come over crossing Queen's Parade, <coughs> between okay. Queen's Parade and Alexandra Parade, okay, yep, yep. on the right, um, there's that mural on the wall. That, mm. Yeah, well, that's that whole site there. That's the oh, old okay. gas and fuel yes, site. Yes, yes. It's been used for all sorts of things since, but it's that's the site. So it's on that corner. Yep. And it's quite a large site. Mm. And as I say, it was promised, but I just found the fact that that interesting that they're now saying mm. that's what's going on. Mm. Yeah, so uh, there you are. Um, another one that um, we said to hear, um, the, um, well, on the same theme, of course, as that garden fund we had before, we're now seeing um, you know, startling images have emerged of devastating coral bleaching, etc., mm. and the barrier reef and all the terrible things happening. Um, and I heard... Um, an expert yesterday, an academic who's involved in, in research into these things, criticising the government for not doing enough or taking it pretty lightly. And if anyone heard an interview with Hunt, the minister, last week, I think that was the thing that shone through. I don't know if you heard it or not, but he was saying how he flew over it and they're going to do this and going to do that. But none of it really indicated he was taking the whole thing seriously. You know, mm. he's saying parts of it are still good and this and it can be recovered here. And, um, again, we've got a situation where the government... And they're only acting at all, I think, because they've been threatened to have the, whole, have the, the, the World Heritage thing taken away from them. Um, but, um, yeah, the, the government's attitude was just absolutely appalling. And um, there you are. And um, the other one I thought worth mentioning this week was, again, um, the... Um, the Age came out with an editorial this week as well, saying clean energy will bring exponential returns. And of course, we constantly hear in this area that uh, clean energy is so much more expensive. That coal, um, coal, poor old coal is going to save the world, but also it you know, has to struggle against the subsidies given to renewables, etc. When in fact, the very reverse is pretty yeah. much true. Um, but don't tell that to the Institute of Public Affairs who keep running the <laughs> argument. But The Age did say um, inter alia in this editorial last week, and yet here in Australia we are still waiting for this kind of seismic change to sway the investment community and indeed the political class. While a smattering of superannuation funds, equity funds and philanthropic foundations prioritise alternative energy investments over those that contribute to greenhouse gases, years of climate denialism from federal and state coalition governments has dissuaded billions of dollars of potential investment in renewable energy technologies and initiatives. This was something I'm going to talk to Paddy about. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty awful that uh, you know, post-Paris, etc., the government mm. will certainly hunt and the, and the government seem to be saying much the same things as they were beforehand. I think anyone seen any great difference since uh, then? Well, they scrapped yeah. all their subsidies 
that were, I think Abbott did that, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he scrapped all the subsidies. They're sort of bringing them back, or they're they, claiming are they, they are. Them well, back? They, well, who knows? They're, they're making noises, but they're getting mm. close to an election, so they're making noises about a few things. Mm. that, uh, Like this latest health one they're talking about, about um, giving, well, they're give, saying, well, give the states more money for health. Having taken billions away, you give them a bit, a, you know, a small percentage of what you took away and say, Jesus, we're doing a good job on that. Mm. Um, and now they're talking about giving the states income tax rights to uh, raise money for health and infrastructure. This is stuff the governments ought to be paying for out of taxes anyway. We're talking mm-hmm. about the fact that the rich don't pay any taxes, companies don't pay any taxes. If all that money came in, mm-hmm. uh, plus the fact, of course, that the whole Medicare, as it's now called, isn't it, uh, scheme was bought in, um, as was Medibank originally, but Medicare, which re- eventually came back, uh, has a has a levy on mm. salaries which is to pay for health. Now mm. I keep we keep saying if in fact there's the health budget is is falling short, then the simple solution is raise the levy, increase the levy. Um, everyone pays it; it's at the same rate, but I guess it does at least go on the on the on the height of, on the size of your uh, your salary. Um, and um, we can pay for health, and, it, and, and they're carrying on now, including the Labor Party, are carrying on about the problems of poor people in private health insurance who you know, see the prices going up and up and up and up. Now, again, um, there's no need for private health insurance. I don't know why you need to have it. If you have a, if you have a, a universal health mm. system that says we will provide free health care for the community, as Cuba does, incidentally, mm. very, very well, um, then... There's no need for health no. insurance at all. Health insurance is only there to benefit those who, I presume, yeah. make profit from health insurance. Yeah. yeah. And those who can afford it. Yeah. Mm. And those yeah. rich people who think that they should be able to jump to the head of a queue. Mm. Yeah. And, and Medicare is running out. Well, Medibank now, it's been privatised, is running ads saying how wonderful it is. They all run ads saying how wonderful they are. But, of course, since it was privatised, Medibank has actually ruled out many uh, procedures from being mm. funded at all. They've, they've made, just made up a list and told hospitals we're not going to fund that, that, that and that. Um, <laughs> they just make up their own rules. <laughs> and, uh, and yet they're advertising about what wonderful service mm. you'll get if you give them your money. Yeah, I had a friend who worked for one of those um, health insurance companies and she said her job mostly consisted of telling people who'd just found out that they had cancer mm. that the health insurance didn't cover it. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, what are we laughing at? <laughs> we, we shouldn't Just be what laughing. an awful job. Yeah. Horrible, yeah. Yeah, and then obviously when it doesn't cover it, they have to go for the public system, mm. yeah. and, and which the pu- has been which money's been taken out of to mm. give to the private system. And the public system anyway provides all the expensive equipment, etc., that people need when they're genuinely ill. Most mm. of the private systems are run using they do the cosmetic sort of surgery, mm. um, but they don't do the um, they don't do the serious stuff that requires very expensive equipment much. There's a couple of exceptions to that, but not mm. too many. Mm. Anyway, right. We're out of time. Mm, we are. What are we going to talk about next week? Transport, John McPherson. It is the first Wednesday. We've got it right this time. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. Oh, and we're also actually we're going to be talking to a bloke from the bush, a bloke from Matoa, because um, there's been a people mightn't be aware there's been a big campaign to save the overland. There's been apparently they're threatening yeah. to cut it out or bring it right back, and it mm-hmm. goes through those country towns. And there's been a big local campaign which they think is successful. So we're going to first half next week we're going to talk to a bloke about the campaign in the bush to save the overland. Great, fantastic. Yeah. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. 
For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.